up, everybody? My name is Ace, and you're listening to my stupid, lovely brain. I'm going to tell you some stories. This is going to be fucking therapeutic. I met Jesse Lunt when I was 16 years old. We were at a party house in Mammoth Trailer Park in Cedar City, Utah. My best friend Josh knew him from school a few years back, so he introduced us. I moved to Cedar City a few months earlier. Being the new kid in high school is an atrocious mess, and to make matters worse, I was a social outcast. But I was finding my people and settling into a crew, and Jesse didn't come across as a sociopath, so I figured he was cool enough. I never saw him at school because he had dropped out a year before I moved to town, but Jesse was always there after that night, in the background. We would kick it in the same circles at parties and desert outings. He even came along on a road trip to Salt Lake City with us one time. I remember this time out in the desert when we strapped our friend Jordan to the roof of a Chevy Astro and sped through the dirt roads of Three Peaks, Jesse in the back seat. And another time we had a bonfire in the crater and we were all jumping through the flames doing our best Woodstock 99 reenactment, like the album cover of Pantera's Reinventing the Steel, whiskey bottle and all. And then Micah's drunk ass had to go and jump into the flames rather than over them. And uh, Jesse was the designated driver that night, so he drove us to the ER. Fast forward a few months after the bonfire. I had gotten a hookup on some bomb cannabis at wholesale, so I set up a little crew to help me get rid of it. Jesse was on that crew. He was able to move more than the other two, so we started kicking it more and more, naturally forming a business relationship. We had quite the little hustle going on, making some good money. We would get stupid though and sell 20s to the rich kids in the bathrooms at my school. I even had a former child star as a client, no shit. The two of us even started to get a reputation around the area beyond the high schools, and I honestly thought that we were becoming good friends. And then one day my hookup asked how I got rid of so much, and I told him about Jesse, and dude wanted to meet him. So I brought Jesse over one day for a smoke session, and I make the introductions. We shoot the shit for a bit, and homeboy pulls out his personal stash and packs a fat bull. We hung out for a few hours, and my guy approved of Jesse, and we started allowing him to come around more often. Big mistake. A few weeks later, I routinely call my guy to re-up and he is pissed. He yells at me to get to his place fucking ASAP. And I was so terrified as I hung up the payphone in the school commons that I didn't even look around for a ride. I just booked it out the fucking door and ran to his house on foot. When I finally got there, I was brought into the room where the now empty storage locker was. The locks obviously smashed and the usual four to five pounds of pot were gone. Now thankfully my guy trusted me enough to only ask if I did it kind of a formality. When I told him hell no, he asked if Jesse did it. And I said I didn't know. I hadn't seen him for about two days. Find him, he said, now. So back to the streets I went to hunt down Jesse Lunt. I ran back to the school to find Josh and fill him in on the situation. We hopped in his truck and checked all the spots. Jesse's house, his job, his girlfriend's place, he wasn't fucking anywhere. And that just made him look more guilty to us. So Josh and I, it, we go back to my guy's house and let him know that we couldn't find him, but we're going to keep looking. After that, we headed back to Josh's place to think about where he could be. 
The plan was to head back out after sunset, thinking that would bring him out. We never got the chance to go back out though, because not 20 minutes after we got back to Josh's, there was a knock at the front door. Now we weren't expecting anybody, so I jumped at the sound. Before I could make it over, the door slowly opened and no shit, it was Jesse. And he was smiling. We asked him about the empty chest and he of course denied having any involvement, so I'd asked him where he'd been for the last few days. And he lied and said he'd been at home and work, and Josh and I were convinced he'd taken the stash. So we escort Jesse out to Josh's truck and take him to homeboy's house because he wanted to see him too. And that's where Jesse broke down and told us it was him. While he sat on the couch and quietly cried, we discussed whether or not to give him a $2,000 ass beating or just get the goods back from where he told us he had stashed it. We decided on the way out to the desert that we would make him dig it up and then just leave his ass there. Before we drove off, I told him to stay the fuck out of our lives and maybe go back home to Gunnison. And after that, I wrote Jesse off and didn't see or talk to him for years. I would run into him again when I was 21. In the time between the empty chest incident and running into him again, a lot of shit went down. I had gotten locked up in juvenile detention a few more times before being sent to a group home and eventually a wilderness program for at-risk youth. Once I got home from the wilderness, I was getting my shit together when I found out I was going to be a dad. And so I decided to take my dad up on the offer of taking over the family asphalt business. So I was starting a family, taking over a business, and really getting my shit together. And I was only 21. Now I know I glossed over a lot right there, but don't worry, those are all topics for future episodes. So I'm 21, have a wife and a kid, and one on the way at home. Working seven days a week, learning the business side of the asphalt industry, and the only law that I'm currently breaking is using cannabis. I was doing better than I ever thought that a former lost cause like myself could ever do. The only part about it that I didn't really like was all the traveling across the state for work and the whole not getting paid thing, but that's an entire episode in and of itself. See, my dad had moved the family and the business back to St. George while I was in the group home, which means pretty much every other city and town is a damn road trip, except Cedar City. It's close enough that we can commute instead of sleeping in cheap-ass hotels or an old fifth wheel far away from my family. One of the contracts we had was the regional McDonald's franchise. The franchisee loved that we were willing to work on Christmas and Thanksgiving. Back then, things were different. McDonald's was closed on those days, and working those days were mandatory. My dad and McDonald's have both changed their tune a little bit with the holidays off these days, whereas I get them off now and McDonald's employees don't. And the franchisee also paid top dollar to keep his stores looking good. So I'm up in Cedar at one of the McDonald's locations, finishing up some striping work. You know, the parking stalls and the arrows and all that. Now by this point, McDonald's was open 24 hours a day, every day. So we had to adapt and work around all the traffic. And I was only allowed to shut down half the parking lot at a time. So on this day, I was there knocking out drive through number two to finish the project completely. In order to get the layout right for McDonald's drive throughs I need multiple stencils for the layers and three colors of paint. And waiting for each layer to dry and cleaning the paint machine between colors is extremely time consuming. And about an hour into the project, an old Honda Accord pulls right up to the cones and sits there. I was about 50 feet away working on a smoke break and I had noticed the car, but I didn't do anything right away. I've been doing this shit my whole life. I know that they're gonna figure it out drive throughs closed, they're gonna back up and use the other one. 
So I finish my cigarette and the car is still there. So I walk up to it, ready to subtly belittle the driver for not being very observant. And who the fuck would you think was behind the wheel of that car? Yeah, it was Jesse Lunt. Kind of set that up. But it was him. Hadn't thought about that dude for however many years. Five, six years, but we caught up for a few minutes when my paint dried. Talked a little story, told him about my family. He told me all about how life was still the same old shit up in Cedar, which was sad. And as I lit another cigarette, he asked me if I knew where to get any cannabis. And I thought it over for a sec, completely fucking forgetting the empty chest incident. And I told him, yeah, I could get him some. As a favor for an old friend who had made me some money back in high school. And to help out his friends that were hurting for a little relief. I mean, do it for the cause, man, you know? I told him the next time I was working in Cedar, I could bring him up a little bit. And he asked if I could do more, and I asked, how much were you thinking? And he said, maybe about an ounce. And I had never gotten that much from my current connect at once, so I told Jesse I'd have to get back to him. And the next time I went to see my guy to re-up for myself, my guy said as long as I vouched for Jesse, he was cool with it. He even gave me a killer deal so I could make a hundred bucks and not be a complete waste of fucking time. The first buy in Cedar City went pretty quick. No more than a meet on the street and a ride around the block. Before I dropped him back off, though, he asked for something harder. And I told him all I fucked with other than weed was mushrooms every once in a while. He said, see if you can find some. People pay top dollar for that shit up here. He asked how soon I could bring more weed, too, and a red flag that I totally missed. I let him know when I was coming back to town and set up a second meet. And with that, he got out and I drove away. Now, the second buy was a little different. An old mutual friend wanted to see me, supposedly, so I met up with Jesse, and we went to Sydney's place. We hung out for a while, smoked a bowl, caught up on whatnot, whatever had been going on since high school. Sold her some weed and some mushrooms. Oh yeah, I was able to find some mushrooms. Just a half ounce, but he was right, people did pay top dollar for that shit up there. After that, we all had shit to do, so our reunion lasted only about a half an hour. And that was that, for all I knew. We didn't set up another meet, and weeks went by, and to be honest, I kind of forgot about it all. But then came time for the annual asphalt convention in Las Vegas, the NPE West. Now, I love going to conventions and expos. I really do. I'm kind of a fucking nerd about it. And I was supposed to be there for the entire three-day event, and my boss hadn't secured me a room. Now, when I told him how much a room in Vegas was during a convention, he told me to go ahead and either sleep in my truck or make the two-hour drive back every night and drive back every morning. Now, I didn't want to do either of those, and I knew that a quick trip to Cedar would net me a few hundred dollars. So I called Jesse. I told him my situation, and I asked him if he could coordinate a drop last minute. That was the night of my first arrest. He tells me, yeah, man, come on up. We'll get rid of some shrooms for you. So I head north on I-15 to Cedar City instead of south to Las Vegas. I roll into Cedar and we start doing deals with more of my old friends from high school. And I'm honestly having a good time. It was really no big deal. Just some cannabis and mushrooms between adults. Catching up after a long time. In my mind, completely innocent. Even though we all knew we were breaking the law. A draconian law. A bullshit law. We finally hit the bar and I make a quick deal in the smoking area out back but a fight breaks out, so we bail before the cops show up. We then head to an after party at Jesse's friend's place where I was told I could set up shop 
I hide the goods with the homeowner and he tells me I can make sales out of his house for a quarter of shrooms and cannabis each. As people poured into the house, I started pitching to everybody immediately. I had to be in Vegas in seven hours and it was a three hour drive, so I was crunched for time and not paying as much attention as I should have been. The drinking games had started and the joints were lit and I was making money. I kept having to dip into the owner's room and I noticed that I hadn't seen Jesse in about an hour. Now that was way too long to be in the shitter for him, so I asked if anyone had seen him and no one had. I later found out that he had sneaked out the side door and went and met up with the drug task force with whom he was working. I noticed him come back in, the front door this time, and not a minute later, the police were in the living room. I knew right then and there it had all been a setup and I was going to miss the convention that year. The homeowner quickly gave consent to the police to search the house and the officers walked right up to the closet where I had stashed everything. I gave Jesse a look of anger and rage. How could he do this, dude? I was so fucked. At least I didn't let him talk me into selling him meth or something worse, Jesus. As the captain was locking the cuffs behind my back, I gave Jesse my home number and told him to call my wife and tell her what he had done. And with that, I was taken away to the Iron County Jail to wait for a bail hearing. At said hearing, a couple days later, I was given a $100,000 bondable bail. Thanks to a man named Ross, may he rest in peace, I was able to make bail and I didn't miss the birth of my second daughter. There was a ton of stress at home and at work, but I was determined to fight this case. It was a complete fucking setup, and I knew I could win in court. So I took out a substantial loan, hired an attorney, and fired my public pretender. I mean defender, public defender. My new lawyer agreed that it was a dirty case and promised me at worst I would get a few years probation for possession. So I wasn't really worried for the year and a half that we fought in court. I even took the family on a Hawaiian vacation with my wife's brother, mom, grandparents, and sister with her husband and kids. That was not fun. After the vacation, things went back to stressful. I was at work one day when my dad called me and told me a couple cops were on the way to my job site to arrest me. For the second time. You see, the night of the party was one incident, and the two controlled buys were separate. So they were working two cases on me simultaneously, and this arrest was for the first two buys. Fucking pricks. I was released from the Iron County Jail for a second time under the agreement that I would rat people out in order to make my own charges go away. Now don't worry kids, your Uncle Ace isn't a rat. I never intended to follow through with that. I had paid a fucking lawyer over 10,000 fucking dollars to fight this for me. And he told me to just shine him on for a while, so that's what I did. After a few meetings with the drug task force, they told me I needed to start dropping some names. I told them that word was out about me, and no one would fuck with me anymore, so we were at a stalemate. Idiots. After six months of that shit, my lawyer was finally able to call them off of me with a few motions to the court. When it came time for trial, my attorney had bailed and dumped his associate on me probably because my monthly payments were coming in later and later. Well, that guy really fucked up at trial, almost like it was intentional, and the court threw the fucking book at me. Throughout all my appearances, I could tell that my luck was fading fast. 
We had a meeting with the DA, and I decided to change my plea to guilty in hopes of a plea bargain. I wasn't expecting the deal they originally offered me, but I was hoping they were still willing to work with me. They weren't. I never gave them any names, and I fought them the whole way. They were not willing to work with that. I was, however, given one week to get my affairs in order, which was a shocking surprise that made me think that the final sentence wouldn't be so bad. I was to remand myself to Iron County Jail no later than midnight after one week. I was to await sentencing in C-Block with all the others, anxious about their fate. After weekly hearings, basic updates to the judge, for months, it was finally the day of my sentencing. I sat in the jury box with the other convicts and heard everyone's sentence doled out one by one. A year in county here, two there, some probation. I was hopeful that I would be out before I turned 25. And from the jury box, I kept scanning the courtroom in hopes of seeing my wife, but she wasn't there. More inmates went up, then back to the holding cells. It was down to the last two of us when my wife finally made it into the courtroom, just in time to hear my sentence. I stood at that podium as best as my weak knees would let me, shackled, sweating. I listened as the judge chastised me for being such a repugnant drug dealer and how I was scum. Then he said something I wasn't expecting and didn't quite hear right at first. I hereby sentence you to no less than five years to what could be the rest of your natural life in the Utah State Prison. The bailiff had to practically drag me back to the holding cells. I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't think. My vision was blurry, probably from all of the involuntary tears. Back at county, I was transferred to A Block to await my ride to the state prison in Draper. My celly gave me a cup of coffee, and I settled in. We talked for a while about my sentence and the situation I was in. But that was that. He was a nice enough dude. But he went to bed at lights out, and there was no way I could fucking sleep, so I just laid in my bunk, staring at the ceiling. I didn't have to wait long for my ride. I was startled at 2 a.m. to a voice over the intercom telling me to roll up and stand by the door, facing the wall. The transport guards met me at the door to my cell and shackled me up and walked me out of the block and down the long, sterile hallway to booking. It was a quick ten-minute process in booking to get me ready to go. The guards walked me to the back of a windowless, unmarked van and opened the doors. Inside was a smooth, stainless steel box with smooth, stainless steel bench seats. Another inmate that I couldn't really see because it was dark sat on the bench on the opposite side. The guard that had me by the arm pushed me up into the back and told me to sit on the passenger side. Once I got settled and sat down, the guard yelled, no talking, and slammed the doors. It was freezing inside that goddamn box. And we had a three hour drive ahead of us. I felt the van fire up and heard chatter over the radios. I heard the bay door open as it rolled up, chains fell down. I felt the transmission as the guard shifted the van into drive. This was actually happening.
This episode was brought to you by a random package. The beats heard in my stupid lovely brain are produced by Righteous Foot. Check them out on SoundCloud.